Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kajabi Edge podcast, where we talk to real entrepreneurs to give you an edge on Kajabi. I'm your host, Jared Lohman, Vice President of Customer Experience. And today, we're joined by Brayden, owner at BraydenDrake.com. How's it going today, Brayden? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, excited to be here. Always just a good time to chat about business. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes, yes. And like, I, obviously, people aren't seeing this because this is an audio podcast, but like, you also have a familiar face. I think you've like made a cameo in the Kajabi. Kajabi app at some point, <laughs> if I'm correct. Is that is that the Yeah, case? well, for a while, like when you log into Kajabi and you have the dashboard, it was like a photo of me, like looking to the left and smiling. It was funny because someone posted in the Kajabi group that it looked like I was like checking out the girl on the left <laughs> side of the photo. But you all photoshopped that because we did that Photoshop uh, photo shoot in my home office. And I was actually laughing at my dog when they took that, took that <laughs> photo. But yeah, yeah, I had a, I have a lot of friends now who use Kajabi me. And when that photo went up, they like were all sending it to me, which I thought was very fun. I love it. I love it. Well, no longer in the app for anyone to see, but I'm sure they can find it on like a in the Facebook group. You have to join the Facebook group to check it out. Um, well, this is not about your your photo in the app. This is all about you and your business. So like in traditional form, kind of give us like the 15 second elevator pitch it is for what you do. Yeah. So my, uh, my background, I'm a small business attorney. I'm licensed to California. I also have a master's degree in tax law. So I do tax, finance, and legal education for creative small business owners. Now that those all sound like incredibly valuable, valuable skill sets. So like I'm going to imagine uh, the first thing that's on my mind at least is like why teach this versus or like or maybe maybe you don't even teach this, but like why take this format as opposed to just running a traditional law firm, tax firm? Yeah, well, there are a lot of there are a lot of reasons. I actually I never really wanted to be a teacher, but part of me always thought I would love being a professor. I love to talk and I love doing presentations. Like public speaking was one of my favorite courses in undergrad. Um, But the academia side of being a professor never really appealed to me. Um, Being an adjunct professor is still like on my to-do list. But I really like to teach. And then also, I don't really love doing a lot of one-on-one work. I do now um, because I do more consulting than I do like a traditional legal practice. And that's all part of my Kajabi business. But yeah, running a traditional law practice never really appealed to me. Um, So I actually started my education business fairly early on, about a year, year and a half after I passed the bar exam and started doing legal work. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, that's actually kind of a great segue into like how you got like down this path. Like you were, you were in school, started this about a year after, like, did you, I guess plans are always kind of up in the air, but did you like, was the original plan to actually do something more traditional? Did you know that you're going to law school and go and not going to actually practice formal law? Yes and no. Um, I actually, I focused on health law when I was in law school. And I really wanted to work in-house counsel for a hospital or work in healthcare policy. Uh, in undergrad, I studied political science and focused on healthcare. Uh, I was in undergrad when Obamacare went through and I followed it like very, very closely. I was very interested. Um, but for multiple reasons, that didn't really shake out. I ended up doing all my internships in medical malpractice and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. So then someone recommended a tax course to me and I took that. And then I thought I would end up in like corporate law. So I have friends that work for like big four accounting firms. Um, I had a friend that like got a job with ExxonMobil doing tax consulting with them. And that was kind of appealing, but not really appealing. So I decided halfway through law school, I would just go into solo practice. And I figured I either would like it and stick with it, or I would just kind of use that as a jumping off point to be an entrepreneur in some other capacity down the road. 
road. Okay. Well, uh, take us through it. Like, I guess the, the journey from schooling and kind of finding your path here, like how did it actually all materialize? So after I did uh, law school, I took the bar exam and then I got, it's in the legal field, we call it an LLM, but it's a master's of law degree through a law school. It's a one-year graduate degree. And I did mine in tax at the University of San Diego here. And while I was in that, I joined, they call it the incubator program, but it's basically a small cohort of individuals that graduate from our law school who all want to go into solo practice. And we get some training from other people who are in solo practice. And I did that um, while I was in my uh, master's program. So I was kind of like launching my law firm while I was getting my master's. And then I was off and running. I did not really start until I finished that program. Um, But I did that. And then I honestly had no idea what I was doing for the first year. (laughs) I didn't know what niche I wanted to serve. I wasn't even totally sure what areas of law I wanted to practice in other than tax. So it took me a little while to figure that out. Um, And then uh, a little while after I figured that out, I kind of stumbled into this like online course universe, so to speak. I love it. And I guess like, what was the, what was the starting point? Did you start with like just creating a course or like where, where, where did the, where did this journey begin? No. So I, I connected with, I started as a lot of us probably do. I just started going to a lot of different like networking groups here in San Diego. I had a friend of a friend. It was actually like my husband's best friend hired an interior designer because they like bought a new house. And the interior designer's daughter was about my age and she was starting a business. So like we got introduced to one another and then we kind of like circled up with some other people starting businesses and we hung out a lot. And those friends introduced me to the world of podcasts. And I like, I had heard of like true crime podcasts, but it never really crossed my mind that people were doing like business podcasts. So I actually first got introduced to Jenna Kutcher. So some of your listeners like might be familiar with her. She's a pretty big business. And I binge listened to a bunch of her episodes. And one of her interviewees was Amy Porterfield. And so I listened to Amy's interview and I was like, this lady seems great. So then I clicked over to her podcast. And then I like to jokingly say that like Amy indoctrinated me into the world of online business. But you know, she does a fabulous job about letting us all know what's out there. And that's how I really got introduced to this, uh, the business model that I'm in today. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, tell us more about that business model. Um, again, like, uh, did you actually start your podcast? Was that step one? Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to remember, I think my course came first. I think my first course came first and then my podcast. I did one podcast for like four months. Um, and it wasn't like super well aligned with what I was doing. It, it didn't really make a a whole lot of sense. I tend to just hit the ground running and then, you know, we fine tune later if we need to. Uh, so then I pivoted, but I was listening to Amy's podcast. I joined her first round of Digital Course Academy. I created my first course, was which was called Legally Launched. Uh, it was a step by step guide to legally form your small business. And that was my starting point. I love that. Yeah. And that's such a common, I guess, question, problem, challenge for anyone who's considering starting a business like that. The first thing on your mind is like, how do I, how do I actually make sure that I'm not going to end up with this giant tax bill? Or at least it was for me. Maybe that's not yeah. everybody, <laughs> but definitely a problem people need to be concerned about. Um, did you find that like, I guess like one of the bigger challenges when you get launched is like finding that audience. Did you find that there was just uh, enough people out there that were interested in this that jumped on board? Or how did you begin to like kind of start acquiring this? 
first customers? Yeah, it was it was tough. I mean, it was it was a lot of work. I I still to this day haven't like really cracked the code on ads. So I built pretty much my whole business through organic traffic. Um, when I was talking earlier about like kind of the networking groups that I was in, fairly early on, I discovered this group called Rising Tide Society. And it's a like a global organization. I am actually now the chapter co-leader of our San Diego chapter. But I found that and they do meetups all over the place. And I got um, kind of lucky because a couple months after I learned about them, they had a legal month because every month has a topic. And so I pitched myself to every group I could find in Southern California. And I drove and spoke to nine different groups in the span of one month. And that was really how my email list got kickstarted. I mean, I think I drove four hours one way to speak to a group of like five people. Um, and three of those people like ended up becoming my students. So there's never like a group too small of people to talk to. So that kind of got me started. And I think in the beginning, I was, you know, engaging in Facebook groups as much as I could. And I would refresh my email list, uh, you know, like every two hours to get so excited when like one new person joined. And that was what you know, the beginning really looked like. <laughs> These are my favorite stories when like it's true boots on the ground efforts, like in the field yeah. out there actually acquiring those customers, because I think it's such an under undervalued or underappreciated um, area of business growth that people like when they're just starting out, you think, oh, I'm just going to fire up a Facebook ad or I'm going to, you know, do some like just quick win is going to get me in motion. And the reality of that is, is those things are, are possibly just as challenging, if not more challenging than just yeah. getting front of your prospective customers. Well, I, yeah, I do think so. I'm actually I'm about to start I'm hesitant to call it a second business, but it's doing what I do for a whole new audience. And I do think once you already have business background, you maybe you can just fire up a Facebook ad because you might know like, is this audience targetable? Is it going to cost me a lot? What kind of language do I need to use? But in the beginning, like I was trying to sell my services using legal language. So, you know, I would be talking about like S corporations and limited liability companies. And most people know what those terms are, but I think it, and I can explain it best in terms of SEO. So at one point, I wrote a blog post titled, Should You Have a Sole Proprietorship or an LLC? So not a super complicated topic. But I ended up learning... Actually, I think the blog post was titled, What Business Entity Should You Use? And my lesson learned was that no non-legal professionals are using the term business entity. They are using the term LLC, right? So by going out there and talking to all these small groups of people and just, you know, I kind of hate the word hustle, but you know, it's, it's probably the best word in the context. That's how you kind of learn how to speak to your audience. And if you don't have a lot of background in business, definitely not some, something you're even thinking about starting out. Sure. Well, let's start talking about some of like, I guess the challenges that you faced or the hurdles you had to overcome and like really getting this up and running. I don't know. And also maybe just like a prelude to that, like a little bit of context for anyone listening. Like what was your, were you like, did you also have a side gig? Did you, what, how are you like kind of keeping yourself afloat while you were getting this off the ground? Yeah. So I was um, already living with my now husband at the time. So I always share this part of my story because our bills were not really financially dependent on my business whatsoever, which gave me a lot of privilege and a lot of luxury in starting my business, which I think is something important for us to recognize, particularly when we're comparing ourselves to others. So I had that. Um, I also was working part-time at West Elm, like the furniture store, uh, really just to make enough money to like pay for my own gas, like pay for uh, all that kind of stuff. So I didn't make a whole lot, but I did that for about the 
first year of my business. Um, and I would say at that point in time, my business was making maybe like $1,000 a month. And then I left that job and got the business up to like 2 to 3k a month. And I was doing that for another year. And it took me, um, I would say about 3 to 4 years to get my business to the point where it was actually equaling like the salary I could have gotten like straight out of law school. Amazing. Yeah. And that's like, I think also a very misunderstood element of getting started is like the amount of time and effort that it takes to actually get these things off the ground, whether you're yeah. building your audience or even just like, I think that usually is what it comes down to is like just building that customer base, growing that audience of paying customers. Um, what other is, so I guess like, yeah, what are some of the challenges that you ran into personally when kind of getting this started? Yeah. Knowing like what, <laughs> What to offer, what to sell was kind of, I think that's always a barrier when you're getting started. Cause you always think like, Oh, this is gonna, you know, like this is going to kill it. Like everyone's going to want to buy this. Everyone's going to want to download this PDF freebie. Everyone's going to want this. No, no one cares. Right. So you kind of throw everything at the wall and then something sticks. So the learning opportunity for me was just figuring out like what sticks and let's run with that. And a lot of that, you know, comes down to meeting your people where they are. It's messaging as well, I think is really hard to learn understanding <laughs> that at the end of the day, like copywriting and messaging is one of the most important things in your business, like so much more than the visuals in a lot of cases, something I talked to like a lot of my like mastermind peers about. But yeah, a lot of that just figuring out in the beginning, what am I even doing? Who am I helping? <laughs> Take some time. I love that. And then quick plug for that, by the way, it is available to anyone, whether you're a jobby customer or not. We actually have a recently launched webinar all on copywriting fundamentals, which customers love. I don't know if you've taken it yet, but if anyone's listening and interested in copywriting in particular, go to uh, kajabi.com and check out some of our live training webinars. Segwaying back in, you learned, learned how to speak to your audience. Uh, I guess kind of... Uh, I'm always interested in hearing like, how did you end up on Kajabi? What was your journey like to that? Did you try several other things or did you land here first? No. So you can thank Amy yet again for that. Um, as we know, Amy's a big time affiliate for Kajabi. I had before Kajabi, my law firm website was on Squarespace and I used uh, MailChimp for my email service provider. And I think that's all I had. I, I I'm pretty sure that's all I had. When I transitioned over to Kajabi, I had maybe two to 300 people on my email list. Um, I ended up for a little while, I maintained both websites. So I had my law firm on Squarespace. And then I had like, I call it, a, you know, like my Kajabi business, my education business. And I kept that up for about a year, year and a half before I transitioned the entire business over to Kajabi. Okay. And when you say law firm, I'm uh, curious, did you actually fully like execute on the law firm aspect of your business? Yeah, I had it. I had a law firm for a few years, I think. It never like brought in a ton of revenue. I think my first full-time year, like I brought in like 30,000 in the law firm and maybe like 10,000 in the education business. And then the next year I brought in like 70K in the education business and the law firm brought in like 10,000. And then the next year I dissolved it. Got it. Got it. Well, I guess uh, tell us a little bit more. Like I imagine you've expanded beyond just the the start your business. Um, how to, uh, tell, me the, tell me the name of the title again. Yeah. Legally Launched was the Legally program. Launched. Yes. 
Yeah. So uh, where did you go next after that? Yeah. So that was my first course. Uh, my second course, so swear warning for everybody. Uh, my second course was called Unfuck Your Biz, which now is the same title as my podcast and my book. Um, I launched that about six months after Legally Launched. And Legally Launched was about a $300 program. I Unfuck Your Biz, I started at $1,000. And then the second launch, I went to $2,000. So that became my signature program. I ran that for four cycles. So twice a year for two years. And then last year, um, I kind of converted that into a membership and I rebranded and I now run a membership program called Profit RX, your prescription to build a healthy and wealthy business. So we have the membership and then I retained uh, Unfuck Your Biz as the branding for my podcast and my book. Very nice. So I guess what was what was the driver behind, uh, I guess, extending beyond legally launched? Well, I wanted it was, you know, deciding do I want to have like three small courses or one big course because legally launched only covered business formation, like specifically like LLC formation. It was essentially sold as an alternative, an alternative to legal zoom. So you sign up for this course, and I'm going to show you through step by step tutorial videos how to form your LLC. Unfuck your biz, I wanted to add some basics on cash flow management, tax planning, how to save and pay for quarterly taxes. And then I also covered a little bit on back tax and business formation mistakes. Because what I was finding in all my conversations was that most of my audience, for whatever reason, they were finding me when they were already two to three years into business. And they'd realized that they were making some mistakes. Hence, Unfuck Your Biz became the brand. Um, and I was helping them kind of untangle the mistakes that they made and then start fresh in order to scale their businesses. Because they were at the point where they were like, all right, I'm ready to make more money, maybe go full time. I need to get this together. So that was how that program was more or less born. What I um, kind of saw looking back was that a lot of brand new business owners weren't problem aware. It's like the marketing terminology. They weren't problem aware of what it is that I was selling. So me trying to sell this program to people who haven't even launched yet, like that's not what they were looking for. It's not they, what they wanted help with. So it was easier to go after the people who'd already been doing it for a little while. Got it. And then uh, I guess like if you're open to sharing a little bit, like um, talk to us a little bit about like the financial success and whatever capacity, financial or even just user growth success of of your your initial course versus sure. round two. Yeah. So I'm. you can ask me as many questions as you want about my numbers. I actually, right before this, I recorded my profit report for my podcast. So I do a profit report every month and I share all my revenue numbers and profit targets with my audience. Kind of like an open book. My first launch of Unfuck Your Biz, I think at that point in time, I had about a 1,000 people on my email list. And I had um, 18 students at $1,000. So it was an $18,000 launch, which was very exciting for me. Um, I think at that point in time, you know, I was making probably a uh, like three to four thousand dollars a month. So an eighteen thousand dollar launch was was pretty huge. That was my beta round of the program, uh, which means I didn't have all the content recorded. I just kind of launched it, and then after that, I hired a brand photographer and I got the branding a lot better together for that program. And I launched about six months later and had twenty one students at two thousand dollars. So then my second launch of the program was right over. 40k, and then I did uh, another 40k launch after that. Before I kind of moved to this membership model. Tell us about the membership model. What's the ongoing benefit to like continuing to stay in the program? Yeah. So what's the like? 
what am I doing to keep my retention high? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, the price point for one, I actually, it's only, it's $30 a month and it includes my, like basically that $2,000 course plus every other thing I've created. So legally launched is included in the program. So the way it works is if you join the membership, you kind of determine what stage of business you're in. And then I give you a, I call it the profit plan. You get a profit plan of which courses to take in which order, depending on where you are and where you want to go. And then the idea is, is you might be a stage one business owner right now, meaning you're making, you know, zero dollars to like a thousand dollars a month. But next year you might want to be in stage two, which means you might be ready for an LLC. And then the next year you might be ready for an S Corp. And so you're going to stick around to go through all the trainings on how to form those. Um, I also have a full bank of contract templates. I'm currently working on, uh, I shouldn't even say I'm working on, but on my to-do list is to add cease and desist templates. Basically, all the different types of legal templates that you need are included in the membership. So people come and get them on an as-needed basis. Uh, We have uh, trainings that people go through every tax season on how to get their documents ready for the tax preparer. I even have tutorials in there on how to file your own tax return if you want to do that. Um, Guest trainings, experts, all the other typical stuff you'd find at a membership. Amazing. And I was going to ask, but I think the answer is actually finally is every Everyone, but I'm interested in your answer to this is like, who is this? Who is this for? Like, who who is your customer? Yeah. So originally, the the messaging was targeted to business owners between zero and $200,000 in revenue, which is a pretty broad range. Um, but at around 200k in gross revenue is the point in time at which you probably don't want to be DIYing any of the things that I teach. Once you're at 100k, there are some things I'm going to recommend that you DIY and some things I recommend that you outsource. But I've been pretty surprised because I've had um, several multi six figure business owners join my program based on the simple fact that they just. Uh, what I always like to say is that their legal and tax skills need to just catch up to their marketing skills because they scale their businesses super fast because they're great at selling, but the back end of their business is a hot mess. And they want to actually learn what they need to be doing rather than just outsource it all. And then I have a number of people who have outsourced and they've been burned by pretty unprofessional professionals. So their goal is just to learn enough so that they know whether the people they're hiring are doing their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I can, de- I definitely get that. It's so important as, you know, as a business owner to, you know, at least be able to have a semi-competent conversation um, because ultimately right. you're the one, I don't know if the legal term is correct, but you're the one kind of liable or you're the one, you know, who's going to have to pay the consequences of not setting things up and not doing things correctly. And a lot of it, like I, I did a talk with a group of educators last week about tax strategy. And this is something that I'm starting to educate on more, but these are typically strategies that are ideal for multi six figure business owners. So things that I don't know a ton about because it's just not highly relevant to my audience. And this is why I recommend that you go work with someone. But in order to go work with someone, you need to know, am I hiring a tax strategist or am I hiring a tax accountant? Like typically you get what you pay for. So if you're only paying $1,000 for a tax return, they're not going to give you high level tax strategy. But at the same time, someone might charge you for high level tax strategy strategy and they're not giving it to you. So you have to at least know enough to be able to know if they're like passing your own bullshit test. So 
Obviously, you don't need to know all the tax laws, but you should know enough of the basics to say, well, that sounds a little iffy or that sounds a little fishy. Or clearly this person, maybe they're too conservative financially and they're not taking uh, bold enough tax strategies on your behalf and you want to ask them some more probing questions to get more detailed information from them. So these are the basics I want my students to know so that they can get the most out of the professionals they're hiring if they are ready to hire. That makes sense. Well, I would love to know, I guess, just a little bit about doing all of this on Kajabi. Sure. Yeah, you talked about membership, you got your podcast, you've got your courses, all of this actually happening on Kajabi, first of all. Yes. So I moved. Um, I'm a pretty... Well, I'm actually not usually an early adopter. But when it comes to Kajabi, I am an early adopter because I consider myself a minimalist. Well, it doesn't sound like it with all the stuff I do in my business. But in, uh, in life, I consider myself a minimalist. And that also extends to my business expenses. So I'm a big advocate of profit. I don't like to pay for a lot of different things. But I also... The fewer the fewer websites that I need to log into on a daily basis, the better. So I moved my podcast from Lipson over to Kajabi about a month after you all rolled the podcast feature over. Um, I also did like uh, when you introduced private podcasts, I put my audiobook on Kajabi as well. Uh, and then I have my course, my membership, I manage my affiliates through Kajabi. Yeah. And all the other things that you all have going on. I probably <laughs> use them too. That, no, that's all. I've actually the first time I've hear I've hearing of someone do an audiobook on there. That's that's really cool. I guess just because no one knows this better than you, um, like, what's that experience like bringing all of these things under one roof? Well, I really like it because it's uh, it's one place to manage it all. Actually, I have a lot of my business friends now. They message me when they have Kajabi when they have Kajabi <laughs> questions, and I'm usually able to help them because that's been the nice thing as well, right? I kind of I built my website on Kajabi like before I had a lot of students, before I had a lot of clients, so I really had the time to figure it out which I think is really helpful. Even if people don't have a ton of time, I would encourage them to find the time. Because the nice thing is, is I, I have to build a sales page. Sometimes I'll do an impromptu promotion if I want to do a webinar funnel, if I want to create an audiobook, like that stuff I can pull together now in minutes or hours pretty quickly. And I have friends in the space where every time they want to do a launch, it's like this two-month-long process back and forth with their copywriter and their designer to get everything going. And this speed at which I like to work, that's just not really reasonable. So I love that I'm able to just crank it all out myself. Of course, I have a team of contractors that work with me, but I don't have to rely on their schedule to get things on the back end of my website done, which I love. Yeah. Well, for all intents and purposes, you could have had a highly successful, highly lucrative career in law, accounting, you know, any of those areas of expertise that you have. Like, I want to know, like, what, what has changed for you as a result of deciding not to go down that traditional path, if you will, and like kind of pursuing a different route here? Yeah, well, it's it's hard for me to answer what's changed because I haven't lived the flip side of this experience, right? But a lot of it, you know, just comes down to my personality. So I'm really into the Enneagram. If any of your listeners know about the Enneagram, I'm a type seven, which is called the enthusiast. We're, we're really big on personal freedom, which essentially just means doing whatever we want whenever we want to do it. So I don't want anyone else dictating my own schedule. And that just kind of comes down to being an 
entrepreneur. But the thing I love about the way my current business is set up is we kind of talked about this before we hit record. It was a little difficult getting this scheduled because I've been traveling for the past two and a half weeks, basically. And I'm able to do that now because with the membership that I run and with the contractors that I have, I can essentially run my business um, in like an hour a day if I really need to, if I have my podcast bashed out in advance. If I don't have everything bashed out, you know, I can typically do all my work that I need to do in two to three hours a day. And I can't imagine doing that like in a traditional legal <laughs> like legal capacity kind of even if I you know had done my own law firm I still would probably need to be in the office for a full day's work so the flexibility is really huge for me I imagine so uh, I guess uh, uh, you've got this this is pretty applicable to anyone out there listening who is like potentially starting a business like you know whatever phase they are in even if they're in the consideration phase gaining some understanding of legal structure is this uh, first of all is it applicable like no matter what state you're in is is or country I imagine at least country yeah you, you mean like the content that I teach yes yeah so most of it's going to be generally applicable um, I typically don't recommend my programs to people outside of the US. I do think a lot of what I teach would be applicable, but I just don't know, right? Like for all I know, if you're in the UK, like the rules for what you can deduct in your business are vastly different. I just, I don't know, right? You all have VAT taxes too, which is like a pain in the ass that I don't really teach on. So a whole different thing. But in the US, um, like LLCs, S-Corps, all of those rules are generally the same across all states. Most of us, you know, the biggest expense all of us have in life for the most part is federal income tax, which is the same for everyone. Contract templates are generally going to be the same in all states with minor nuances in different states. So I would say about 80% of what I teach is generally applicable across the US. And then for the other 20%, what I do is I do my best to suggest when you can fill in the gaps with your own simple research through your state, maybe Secretary of State website, or when you should hire someone. So for example, hiring employees, pretty high risk thing with pretty state specific laws. I advise people on when they should start hiring. And then you're probably going to want to hire someone local to your state who can advise you on what are the wage and hour laws in the state of Nevada? Like when your people need to take lunch breaks, all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, I guess uh, given that this is so applicable to everyone, well, I guess before we get there, what is what's next on the horizon for you? So a, lo a loaded question because you probably gathered I always have a lot going on. Um, the second edition of my book is coming out in July. So I've worked with my uh, book coach and book editor just to update it. I had a lot of references to my old course. So fellow course creators can understand this well. I really just went in to update it to reference my membership now so that it's, you know, the book is serving a purpose to sell something that I'm actually currently offering. We also had some legal updates to make with tax law changes. So that'll be coming out in July. And then I'm currently working on launching a second business. I bought the domain name for dragtax.com and draglaw.com, which will be become the number one, this is my goal, knock on wood, the number one tax firm for drag queens and LGBTQ plus entertainers. So right before this, I had a call with my uh, brand designer to actually work on the branding for that business. And all I can say is it's going to be very, <laughs> the branding is going to be very fun. And I'm really excited about it. I imagine that that's, uh, that's an underserved market, if nothing else. Yeah, if anyone's familiar with RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, that that's like, it's an entire industry now. 
like a lot of these drag queens, they tour globally, their businesses, they get on the show and their businesses like blow up overnight. And, you know, we're talking about people who are making like a few hundred dollars a week performing in clubs to signing thousands of dollars in contracts. I went to uh, the dra- drag convention, RuPaul's Drag Con in LA two weeks ago. And I met several people who told me they were multiple years behind on their taxes. So interestingly, with all of this talk about education, I'm kind of going full circle now. And I'm going to be launching a service-based business. But the great thing about launching a second business is that you don't need it to be profitable right away. So I will be subcontracting out most, uh, pretty much all of the work. And I'll just be uh, kind of in charge of the marketing and all of that in this business. So we'll see. We'll see how it happens. Uh, I'm launching that business in August. So you know, it could be huge. It could fizzle out. Uh, who, who knows? But that's one of the exciting things I'll be working on this summer. Very cool. Well, for anyone who's interested in, I guess, either of these concepts, um, what's the best way to get a hold of you, stay in touch, um, find out more? Sure. Well, I'm assuming the drag business is probably not the niche most of your listeners are going to need to help with. Um, but if anyone's interested in my membership, they can check it out at BradenDrake.com. Knowing that a lot of your listeners are fellow educators, what I would love to do is invite all of you to contact me if you ever need a guest expert for any of your courses, any of your memberships. I do guest speaking all of the time. Uh, and I also love to come on podcasts. So you can tune into my show, which is on Fuck your biz with Brayden. Put the asterisk for the U when you're searching for it to pop up. Um, and I would like to come talk to your people, talk to you, do all the things, and connect. Oh, and Instagram is great as well. Brayden Adam Drake on Instagram. Awesome. Well, we'll have all of that included in the show notes for you. Um, yeah, once again, thanks for taking the time to come and share with us today, Brayden. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. That's all we have for you today. Uh, we will look forward to chatting with you all next week on the Kajabi Edge podcast. 